Welcome to the Life Cycle Lady Podcast, the place to be to talk about all that we wonder, whisper, and wish we knew about our bodies, hormones, and life cycle changes. In this space, I offer vulnerability, wisdom, connection, and helpful transformational mind-body-spirit tools. Please join me as I take the stigma out, stop the whisper, and speak out loud about the life cycle phases from puberty to menopause. Welcome, everyone, to episode number 11. In this episode, I'm going to be joined by my first guest. I'm so excited. Um, We're going to be speaking on the whispers that women have about their changing bodies, known as perimenopause. So we're going to speak on perimenopause today. And my guest, Ms. Radha Schwaller, is actually a Ayurvedic practitioner. So we're going to be taking the lens of perimenopause through the wisdom of Ayurveda. So um, Radha has actually spent the past 20 years studying, researching, and offering Ayurvedic and its many facets to her clients, family, and friends. She graduated from I'm probably going to butcher this, um, Kanya Kamure Arvedic Center with a certificate in Arvedic education in 2008. She also went on to study with her main teacher, Vaida Rama Kant Mishra, whose lineage goes back thousands of years in India. She has studied with many masters in clinics, in forests, and treatment rooms all across the country and is inspired to share her wisdom and knowledge from what she has gained to the betterment of humanity. She currently lives in Colorado with her husband, her two teenage daughters, their dog, and one sassy cat who loves his daily dose of ghee. So I'm very, very excited to open the stage up and welcome Radha. All right, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. I'm incredibly excited about having my first guest. Um, I've been stalking this woman for a while now (laughs) on social media, and um, we actually live in the same state, so I think we've even tried to make a few uh, in-person appointments that just didn't work out. So I'm incredibly excited to have you on today. So I'm wondering if you can tell us more, a little bit about your own story, um, and kind of setting us on how you ended up at this place in your life and how really Ayurveda speaks to you personally, how you came here. Absolutely. Uh, First of all, Julie, thank you so much for having me. Um, It's really a pleasure to be able to share the information I've gathered and all these years with somebody who really sees me and, and really appreciates the work. Um, it makes it even more exciting. And so thank you so much for having me on today. Um, so yeah, with that said, I uh, became interested in Ayurveda and holistic health when I became pregnant with my oldest daughter when I was 21 years old. She's now 19. Um, And so at that time, I knew literally zero about childbirth, yet alone uh, my own health and well-being, how to take care of myself or cook very many things. Um, And so you know, I just did what, what people thought to do when they become pregnant. You go to the doctor and you get a test and you talk to them. And in sitting in that office, I very quickly realized that that standard level of care that's offered um, and, you know, quote unquote, education that's offered for prenatal and postnatal moms at these Uh, most Western clinics, I won't say all because it's getting better for sure, but it was super inadequate and full of gaps and left me feeling really scared and, and helpless, honestly. Um, And so, you know, going on that path is that's all I kind of knew what to do. It just left me craving this deeper experience. I didn't know what that was, but it definitely left this gap. I was super blessed to um, have some neighbors that had friends, you know how it goes, friends of a friend who um, 
they had this midwife deliver their babies. And so they told me about this midwife and said, hey, are you open to going to see this midwife? And I was not really sure what to say, but I, I agreed and had this most amazing experience through her. I mean, the level of education, the nurturing, everything was so thorough um, and beautiful. It, it was a no-brainer to switch care over to her. And through that process, we ended up having this beautiful home birth with no complications, a relatively smooth postpartum time. And this really opened my eyes to, oh my gosh, I need to know more about health. I need, I want to know how to take care of myself. I want to know how to take care of my baby. Um, so I just started really buying all the books I could, going to the library, getting books on holistic health and healing. Uh, I studied herbs and herb medicine making with herbalists in the deciduous forests in the Midwest. Um, I started studying aromatherapy with distillers that would collect the sustainable uh, plants from nature and energy medicine healers that worked with crystals and sound and color and hands-on techniques, chiropractors. I really wanted to know everything I could possibly know. And this left me wondering, okay, how does this all connect? How does herbs and nutrition and chiropractic go together? Like, how can I weave this together? And one day I was paging through this natural health publication and came across this little ad for a school uh, called Kanyakumari Ayurveda. And it was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. That's where I was living in the time at the time in Wisconsin. It, was printed in black and white. It didn't, you know, a lot of the Ayurveda, if you've ever seen ads for it, it can be really beautiful and stunning with all of the spices and oils and everything. So this was super simple. And it really just said classes begin in the fall. And I had no idea really what Ayurveda was, but I knew I had to go to school there. And um, so my husband and I were lucky enough to be able to go together to school and really remember. We started remembering. And I say remember because when we were in school, we hardly had to study it. All of this information and the Sanskrit uh, terminology and everything just came so easily. Mm -hmm. um, and I just knew that I was like coming back to something that um, felt super intuitive and natural. And that's really what I love about uh, Ayurveda is that it is this very intuitive health science that once you kind of know and get familiar with the way that it works, um, it's very easy to, to really use that on yourself. It's not like you would have to rely on um, an Ayurvedic practitioner for the rest of your life once you get the hang of it, mm -hmm. which I love that idea, that it's very self-empowering, that it's mm -hmm. very, um, uh, really helps the person look at themselves and say, well, what can I do to bring myself back to myself? Um, That's great. And so, yeah, I just became super passionate with sharing that in every capacity I could um, you know, with my family and friends and then professionally. That's amazing. I got the chills when you were saying that, when you were saying how you remembered. <clears throat> oh, um, yes. Yeah, that's what it is. It's very like it touches you at that core. So I'm wondering, one thing that came up for me as you were describing your story, as you know, I work with girls all the way from puberty all the way up to menopause. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I see happening during puberty, and don't worry everyone, we're going to get to the perimenopause, that's what I promise, but I am, um, one of the things I, I notice as girls that go through puberty is, it's a big stage that they can get really disconnected from their knowing, like rather than growing into that knowing, they can get really disconnected. So I'm, as you're talking, I'm like, wow, at 21, she's sitting there knowing that in this doctor's office, knowing that this is not, this is not it right? This is not the way I need to go. So I'm wondering if you can even describe, take us back any further on how you were able to, like, was it upbringing? Was it what you saw around you? Like, where did that inner knowing, how did that stay in, in touch? Like, where did that niggle that you were able to follow? How was that 
staying in touch with that throughout your life? Yeah, that's a great question. And I can absolutely um, agree with you because I have two teenage daughters, one who's 19 and one who's 15. And I watch it. And the first time around, it was really painful to see like this beautiful child that has all this wisdom, you know, it almost brings tears to my eye, like come through puberty and like be flooded with hormones and be totally overtaken by what seems like demons sometimes, (laughs) you know, and just be like, holy cats, what's happening here? Um, and yeah, it was a little scary the first time around. And, and now I realize that, that they kind of have to go through that cycle and, um, gosh, it's so hard on us parents. I think it's harder on us parents than it is on them. (laughs) But, um, for me, I would say my, my upbringing, my mom was always a really, and my grandmother were both beautifully strong women, um, influences in my life and also my aunt. And so all of these women that, that I grew up around, um, were never shy to share their voice or their, their, you know, knowing that something wasn't right or something wasn't in alignment with something that they knew in their heart. And so I grew up with that confidence of like always knowing that if something didn't feel right, I could just say, no, thank you. And, and there was another way to do it. I think I see this a lot in um, our culture now is this giving away of our power. And I'll talk about that um, more because it really weaves into the healthcare journey. Mm-hmm. But uh, women, we tend to give away our power to Um, gosh, even just Google searching. Oh, I don't feel well. I'm going to Google search this symptom. Like, please, if you take away one thing from this talk, don't ever Google search a health condition. (laughs) You will be convinced you have every single, you know, cancer and disorder possible. Um, But really, yeah, just listening to that voice inside of me that said, in that moment in the doctor's office that this is not right. I do not feel good in this moment. And it wasn't that I was afraid because I could separate that. I could separate the, yes, I'm scared and this isn't right. Um, I just didn't know necessarily where to look. And I happened to be blessed to be around somebody who, who could show me kind of the way um, to go. But but really, yeah, trusting that feeling of, of something being right for you or not and being okay with um, pursuing that path, even if it's not popular, even if your friends and family might look at you like you're crazy, even if, you know, everyone says that's not the way to go. Um, I think it's really important that we as women, especially, I mean, everyone, but definitely women, uh, listen to that intuitive message that comes forth, um, and, and go for it. Yeah, I totally agree. And that gives me hope talking about your daughters. My daughter's also in puberty, but Mm -hmm. early on, and I have a theory and whatever research has shown that if you stay that presence in their life, that they're going to go through all the storminess that they're going to go through. Um, and then they will come out of the other side strong, right? And still connected. So that's absolutely. Yeah. And I think as, you know, parents of teenagers, my number one advice is always keep your sense of humor because I mean, I, I can tend to get um, really wrapped up in the, the drama of the hormones when they're flowing. <laughs> I'm a little better at it now. My husband's super good at it, staying calm, but um, just knowing in those moments where things are getting fiery that it's okay. It'll come, it'll settle down and don't take anything personally and it'll try to laugh it off as much as you can. <laughs> I actually teach in my puberty class this funny exercise. It's called um, exaggerated movement. We do this exaggerated movements and builds and then I'm like, okay, what does this have to do with puberty? And and I show them how these little things get really blown out of proportion and <laughs> 
funny movements and I do that with my own teens like I'll just like when their hormones if I can stay aware enough and not let them trigger me right are doing these like big funny movements of like hey this is getting a little ha- out of hand this is the hormones <laughs> I love that sometimes that's such a good representation sometimes not so much <laughs> <laughs> so let's get back to Ayurveda so I bet a lot of people that are listening to this um, maybe have heard the term Ayurveda, maybe even not. So I'm wondering if you can explain to us something that is so huge and like a little bit um, more of what the philosophy and what the approach to health and wellness is of Ayurveda. Absolutely. Um, Ayurveda is a Sanskrit word that translates to the science of life and longevity. And this science is Uh, originating from India. It's well over 5,000 years old and said to be the original healing modality known to humanity and that all other healing modalities came from this um, origin. And I'm sure I'm going to get messages on that. But that is what is said. Um, the, the Ayurvedic approach to health and healing really directly comes from nature. And so how I was saying it was super intuitive, that is how it, it comes to be so intuitive because we are nature. And, and so if this healing science is coming from nature, then um, we really just need to remember how late how nature is trying to communicate with us. And so we want to look at how these elements are manifesting and dissipating. And by elements, um, in Ayurveda, we speak of the five elements and this makes up all matter. And so our human body, our minds, the environment, the atmosphere, the seasons, food we eat, they're all made up of these five elements, which are ether, air, fire, water, and earth. And because these elements pervade everything that's around us, um, they're of course also in the, the food that we eat and the way that we talk and how we interact. Um, all of the animals and insects and flowers and plants are all made up of these elements. And um, this makes us all connected to this universal flow of consciousness that this is the consciousness that moves the sun into the sky in the morning that awakens and flows through the moon in all of its phases um, this consciousness really is what's responsible for waking up the flowers in the spring and telling the leaves to fall from the trees mm. And in order for us as humans to really have this high level of wellness, we just have to get back into alignment with this universal consciousness that's in us. Um, This means we want to stay in tune with this nature's rhythms, rising with the sun, for instance, Uh, having our largest meal, which is lunch, at the time when the sun is at the peak in the sky because our digestion is connected to fire element. Mm -hmm. Uh, We want to go to bed before 10 p.m. so that we can really harness the natural detoxification schedule of the middle of the night, the purification. Uh, When we remember our body has this intelligence to heal and be healthy, that's in in alignment with these natural rhythms, we set up this environment that is super supportive for, for our bodies. Uh, and this, of course, brings me to the next piece, which is talking about how our modern life is really not supportive of, of natural rhythms. We rush around skipping meals, eating in the car, going through drive throughs eating out, Um, with, you know, the food in a lot of restaurants is less than optimal for health and on a regular basis. Um, We're either exercising way too much, which, you know, living in Colorado, we see all of these super athletes. Um, We have that super extreme, which can be very depleting on our body, or we're not exercising at all. Um, We're staying up late, we're on screens, And then we wonder why we can't sleep at night when we do turn off the lights. 
Um, we're really popping pain medications when we're feeling sore instead of resting, pushing through sickness or fatigue uh, when our body just wants to sleep. Uh, this is really keeps us disconnected from nature and, and our communities too, because when we don't feel well, we can't show up. We can't show up for our families. We can't show up for our community. We can't um, feel well enough to volunteer at the church or at the school because we're tired or we're in pain and we can't imagine doing one more thing. Um, we wonder why we don't feel well. Well, we're not listening, right? We're not listening to nature. We're we're relying on these conveniences like dishwashers and robo vacuums to make our life more easy, like meal delivery. Oh, I'll just order out tonight. Um, and I really feel like these conveniences, we should be employing them so that we can not do more, but actually do less. Like let's use those so that we can actually rest and, and not, just cram more work into the day. I think the amount of work that we do now compared to even 10 or 15 years ago is um, exponential, like four days worth of work in one day because we rush through everything and just try to do more and more and more. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about this this morning and, and I, a song came into my mind and, and I wanted to just remind us that a wise woman once said we're stardust we are golden and we've got to get ourselves back to the garden <laughs> i was sitting at a woman's circle the other just not last night the night before and they she was talking about how we're all stardust mm -hmm. I that. yeah when we think about how um you know, small we are in the universe and, and yet how profound our energies can be influential on each other and on nature. Um, it really gets pretty simple. I think we tend to make things pretty complex as humans. We do. And we also try to try to um, kind of power over everything, right? We are the conquerors of everything. We conquer nature, we conquer everything. Right. So when people actually come to me to seek support for what I'm up to and helping people with their hormones and helping them with transitions, and I talk to them about sleeping with the cycles of the, you know, of the sun, going to bed before 10, getting up in, and I talk to it and I talk to them about exercise and not like powering over their life, but living in rhythm with their life. And they're like, no, no, no. I came to you to talk about my hormones. <laughs> <laughs> Right. I want you to help me solve my hormones, right? Yes. Well, well that's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but yes. often people want that. And I have been guilty of this a time or two in my life. You just want it to end, right? You just mm -hmm. don't like the feeling you've got. And you just kind of want that, that quick fix. And you're like, no, no, I can't shift my life because I have to stay up past 10 because I have this and this and this and this and this. And it's... Um, I often say, well, what if, what if you didn't have this and this and this, like, what does that look like? What is, how does mm -hmm. like live, how do you live differently? Like, just imagine. Mm -hmm. change. Let's just imagine. Absolutely. I think we forget how in control of our lives we are. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for instance, a uh, new mama is also a working mama and she's exhausted because she's, uh, you know, obvious reasons. She's working full time and she's a mama. And I would make a recommendation of, hey, take a personal day and sleep. Send, you know, have your um, sister or someone take care of baby and t literally like just lay in bed all day. Yeah. And usually the first response is, I don't, I can't do that. I don't have time for that. W what do you mean? Like, I can't take time off to do that and and where does that come from is what I want to know why do we feel like we have to be sick throwing up to take time off like we can actually take time off to rest because guess what you're going to be a lot nicer of a mom and 
more productive at work if you're rested than if you're coming fatigued and, and exhausted. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's like we need that permission, right? We need that permission to rest. And oftentimes that looks like we then get sick, which is the sickness is the permission. Right? Yeah. It's, it's we wait for the, the sickness, but I would encourage and challenge anyone listening to if you're feeling tired and if you're starting to feel like, oh my gosh, I could really use a break, find a way to take a break. It's okay. Like all the work will still be there when you get back. Like <laughs> I promise it's not going to all fall apart in one day. Exactly. So how does the Ayurvedic approach to hormonal health differ than the current cultural approach? I mean, we started going there. Yes, we did. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's very different. And, and this is what you were just mentioning that kind of freaks people out (laughs) a little bit because we're so used to treating the symptom, right? So we're used to saying, I have a headache, I'm going to take a pain med or instead of saying, wait, why, why do I have a headache? Um, You know, we have to back up a little bit. So Ayurveda would look at you as a whole. It would say, we would, we would look at your unique lifestyle. We would look at your uh, daily routine. What do you do when you first wake up? When do you wake up? Um, we would look at what you're having for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We would say, what supplements are you taking? Are you sleeping well? How many times do you wake up at night? Do you have an easy time falling back asleep? Uh, what is your work life like? Do you feel like you're doing meaningful work in the world? Do you feel uh, rewarded and seen in your life? Um, we we want to look at all of these aspects and see where where the gaps are. And really, what I'm doing as an Ayurvedic practitioner is I'm being a researcher. So I'm looking through this information that that's given and I look for the underlying cause of imbalance Mm -hmm. and address this, that specific thing so that then the physiology actually can heal on its own. So the hormones will come back into balance on their own. If we set up the right environment, um, you know, this imbalance could be from many different things. Um, Diet is a huge one. Uh, Of course, we want to look at um, where you're getting your food from. Is it a box? Is it a can? Is it organic or not? Is it freshly prepared? Um, We want to look at your dairy intake and meat intake. Is it conventional? Could it be filled with hormones and antibiotics and um, all of those icky things that come from conventional dairy. Um, you can look all the way down to your the furniture and the carpeting in your house. Does it have chemicals, flame retardants, um, plastics, you know, can be, have uh, different off gases and chemicals that are going to affect our hormones. We want to look at all of this stuff. We want to also look at what we're putting on our skin. So that's just as important as what we're eating. And um, gosh, I read this really terrifying statistic that said the average woman puts 515 different chemicals on her skin each day. And so I would say, look at the chemicals or look at the ingredients, first of all, in your body care products, in your shampoo, in your shaving cream, in your facial moisturizer, Um, In your makeup, you know, if women are wearing mascara every day, what's in that? Is there coal tar in your mascara? I mean, that's, that's not going to have a good effect um, uh, in the long term on your delicate endocrine system and, and really your health overall. Um, We can also look at uh, this beautiful book written by a teacher and friend of mine, Dr. Marion Teitelbaum. And it's on, her book is on thyroid health. And she really talks about how your weak thyroid um, can depress progesterone production. And this is a super common cause of hormone imbalance. And so in her book, she talks about how to get balance between the gallbladder and the liver and the endocrine system. And, you know, 
looking at where maybe our stress levels are too. That is a huge, um, has a huge influence on our hormones. If we're in fight or flight and our adrenals are firing all the time, um, and that's definitely going to affect our thyroid and that's going to affect, I mean, it's like a spiral, right? And so in Ayurveda, we, we would really just look at this whole person instead of, you know, the cultural approach of adding hormones. So, you know, hormone replacement or hormonal creams or again, we're kind of masking the cause when we do that. We're, we're just putting a Band-Aid over a wound that's never going to heal if we don't actually figure out why um, the wound is there in the first place. And, and, you know, down the road, these hormonal replacements, of course, have all kinds of risks that we know about, you know, heart disease, breast cancer, higher uh, risks of stroke. And personally, I feel like when you are an empowered uh, woman and you're really listening to your body, you're going to know what's really causing the imbalance. If you just have a little bit of guidance or, you know, go to your health practitioner that has a more holistic view and just be a little researcher on your life and look and see, well, what's causing this imbalance from nature? Because inherently we are all um, our physiology is set up to work. We're not made to suddenly, when we turn a certain age, we're deficient in this thing and we have to add in something. Like, um, it, it, we really want to look at like, our lifestyle and, and take responsibility for, for the things that we're choosing to do each day. And I think that can be really scary for people. Like you said, they don't want to necessarily change it's really hard to change habits. It's extremely hard. We would rather um, have it fixed now, like you said earlier. We would rather have, you know, the uncomfortability just go away and we don't have to think about it and we can resume on with our lives. But um, Ayurveda is really challenging us to look at how is our life sustainable for us? Is it a sustainable model for our long-term longevity and well-being. And, um, and these are hard questions, I think, for people to ask themselves. I, I definitely think that is a reason why Ayurveda is so slow to become popular in the United States, because our culture is so much in this me, me, I, I, how is it serving me? I want it now kind of um, trajectory and we don't necessarily want to slow down <laughs> and we think that's counterproductive or that that won't be as profitable or fun or something sexy. I don't know what people exactly valuable. are thinking. Valuable too. They want to be valuable in the world. Right, right. Valuable. Yeah. So how, how can we value this slow mm -hmm. lifestyle? How can we remember that rest is actually just as nurturing and as work, you know, and, um, I feel like I'm pulling people's teeth out when I tell them this stuff. I know, seriously. Really? No, you just give me anything else. Don't make me slow down. Right. <laughs> well, and, and, and there is still a lot of holistic health modalities that treat symptoms. Um, you know, so people will trade out the pharmaceuticals for herbs, which, I mean, I think that's a step in the right direction. Um, but a lot of times they want to just say, what is an herb for depression? What is an herb for heartburn? And I want to say, well, why are you depressed? <laughs> why do you have heartburn? Like, let's look at that first. Yes, you can take the herb to help you with that symptom now. Um, and, and then let's address that, that issue of why it's coming up in the first place, because that's where you're going to get the most uh, benefit long-term. Yeah, it reminds me, I think that, well, one thing that came up was uh, during research of perimenopause, menopause, and even menstrual health issues in India, although it's not always viewed as um, 
like an empowering part of life, but it is the symptoms are barely there, right? Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting, like, yes, because culturally it's just not, they do live more rhythmic, most absolutely. So it's not, we're going up against all these cult. I feel like I'm always going up against the culture. Even today, I was mm-hmm. just images for perimenopause to like add to our podcast, you know, as a little, um, as a little like thumb note image. And it's all <laughs> just lists of symptoms of women with their hands on their head, but they're like dying. And I'm like, oh my God. Right. We have medicalized, we have medicalized our moods. If you have a bad mood for six months, you're depressed. Yes. If you have hot flashes, you are, it's this medical event. And I'm not saying that those things aren't real because, you know, I've had my own hormonal um, imbalances and I now, it's directly related to the pace of life that I go through. And it's, mm-hmm. and the stress levels. And for me, that's directly related to my progesterone as well as my liver. And so I get that. Mm -hmm. And even for me who gets it and embraces it, it's still sometimes hard because I live with images all around me all the time of people who just keep go, 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 do, do, do. And so it's like, there's this like push pull of like, you know, you know what you know, but then you live in a culture that still doesn't, hasn't woken up to it. Right. Absolutely. I mean, it's, I mean, I can say that speaks for me as well. And even, you know, on this path for 20 years of holistic health and, and I've had my fair share of um, migraines that, you know, I took an Excedrin for, and, you know, there are times where I'm like, okay, you know what, I know why I have this headache and it really hurts. So I'm going to take something for it. And, you know, what it brings me back to is um, when I was in college, I took this eco psychology class. And I mean, if you ever want to get really into the cultural beliefs and how it's connected to the earth and how it's connected to the human mind, take an eco psychology class or read a book because it is, it'll blow your mind. And, um, really one of the things that we talked about that was most fascinating was the fact that, um, even when we're making choices every day to lower our impact um, on our, you know, ecology and to take care of ourselves, our culture and our society just is not arranged for our success in those realms. So even if you're, you know, walking and riding the bus and hardly ever driving or flying in a plane and you're you know, buying all of your food bulk and your growing food and all of these things, you're still draining resources at such a high exponential amount that um, it it's not sustainable for our planet. And so that kind of blew my mind that you can make every effort you want to, and we're still not set up for health of our planet, which is the same for our, like you said, for our our own well-being. I think they're directly connected, honestly. And, um, and, and so, yes, we have to be mindful of that. So even when I feel like my self-care is like top-notch, I say, what can I do more? I need more self-care. Even though I feel like I'm meditating every single day, I had all my meals um, on time today, I you know, went to bed by 10 o'clock, there's more I can do there's definitely more I can do to take care of myself because we're, our life is so fast paced and, and it's burning up our reserves of immunity. It's lowering our capacity to be able to deal with stress. Um, and, and there's always more to do, which can be daunting to think about and also um, exciting if you like a challenge and change and evolving your, your um health, which is really the basis of everything we do as humans, because if we don't have our health, we don't have life. We don't have the ability to follow our dreams or make impact in the world or be a mom or, you know, um, be successful on Wall Street or whatever we want to do in life. Um, Can't do that if we're not healthy. Yeah. I I want people to really hear again that you've been on this journey for 20 years. And 
you're still on the journey. So one of the things when I talk to women is we're all on this journey together, right? Like, so if, you know, I say to someone, like, if you need, if you need a little progesterone cream for a time, like, let's do that to get you functioning. And, Mm -hmm. and what if, now that you know how the system works, what if we try and do some stress reduction or stress resilience? What if we go to bed before to 10? Like, how does your, how can your life shift so that, we're addressing more of the root issue. And so that we're not feeling like I'm just going to give up because I have to change everything at once or else it's not going to work. Cause that's what I hear from people all the time. I don't Absolutely. change it's not going to work. It's like, no, what is the bridge? What are those bridges that can get you to where you want to be feeling lifelong so that you do feel health and alive and vital, right? Yeah, that's really good. It's really good to give people kind of what I like to call in, uh, that low hanging fruit. So what is, you know, when I have a consultation or I do a wellness journey with a woman, we'll talk about, um, all of the things that can be done in order to bring balance. And then I'll say, which of these seems super easy to you? Like you could start doing it in five minutes and you, it wouldn't cause any other ripples in your life or strain or stress on your, um, routine. And, and there is usually one thing out of the list of many things that can help that people can do super easily. Um, and, and so, yeah, that's beautiful. Start with that. And I say, do some research, experiment on yourself, (laughs) right? Like let's, let's pretend we're in a lab and we're doing an experiment for biology class or whatever. And we, and we say, okay, we're our experiment this week is I'm going to drink twice as much water as I normally do. I actually did this about a month ago because I just wanted to see what would happen. (laughs) And it was amazing. I, you know, after all these years, like I know how important water is and I do drink a lot of water. And I thought, well, first of all, we live in Colorado, right? So you're, it's like constantly battling this raisinness. (laughs) We're trying not to turn into raisins. So we're like, okay, we need to up the water always. And, um, and so I just thought, okay, every single time my water bottle is empty, I'm going to fill it and I'm going to drink half of the water bottle right away. And then just keep, every time I look at the water bottle, I'm going to drink. And I did that. I probably drank, uh, you know, 10, 20 ounce bottles of water in a day, maybe more. Um, and I felt amazing. I felt so clear and yes, I was going to the bathroom a lot, which is a complaint I hear people say, but you know what? I, I always like to say, Hey, it's like giving yourself a little time out (laughs) when you get to go to the bathroom. You can be like, well, maybe put some nice hand lotion in there. So it can be like this. Oh, I get to go like put lotion on again. We're trying to battle this dryness in Colorado. Like just make it like a, a moment for you to have a, a breath of, of, uh, Oh, I need to step away for a second instead of like, Oh, I have to go to the bathroom again. <laughs> uh, so there's ways to make it fun and to like have these little experiments with our, our health and, and shift things in a way that, um, that can have such a huge effect down the road, even though they're very simple. Yeah. So we are talking about down the road today with perimenopause, although not as far down the road as most people think. I think a lot of people think this is like a 50s thing, which it's definitely not. It's just a late 30s, early 40s thing. Mm-hmm. So how does Ayurveda view what I like to think of as a golden opportunity or, or uh, a pause portion of life? Um, how, does, how does Ayurveda view that perimenopause period? Absolutely. Well, it's funny because there's really um, not much mentioned, I would say, in terms of perimenopause in the text. So it mostly jumps to menopause, but I really feel like this, the the philosophies around it apply to perimenopause, right? Because it's basically this window of time that we're in this transition. And I think what you were mentioning before is really interesting when you were searching for images and you were finding all of these horrible, like, you know, oh, I'm exhausted or I have a disease or whatever images on online for perimenopause. 
when I would say um, it's just like, it's just this life transition, right? So I also work a lot with postpartum moms and um, for a long time, I would say I work with postpartum moms and they would be, and people would say to me, oh, that's so good that they have somebody like you when they're depressed and, mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. And they would go on like, like I was treating a disease and I wanted, and I would have to just say, no, postpartum is a life phase. It's just like this time of like saying you're a teenager. It's not a disease to be a teenager. (laughs) I mean, although sometimes it seems that way, (laughs) but it's, it's really this life phase. Right. And so in Ayurveda, we, we view all of these times of life as just part of the journey as a human. And we begin as a child um, we have this growth period, building period. This is our kapha time of life. And kapha is a combination of earth and water elements. So that's just the name that we give it in Ayurveda. And this is when our body was really full of expansion as well as our mind was full of expansion. We took everything in from the environment for our own evolution and for our growth. This is really the time of growth and the Vedic text would call this the brahmacharya ashram. And, uh, that's just the, the Sanskrit way of, of categorizing that time of life. So then out of the kapha time of life, we transition into the grihasya ashram, which is this pitta time of life. So this is like the mid adulthood. So we're in fire time of life. So you can look at this as being a time of work and success, gaining achievements. Um, We're really in this time of doing and ego and I, and how can I get ahead? And I need to set my roots down and I need to make money and I need to have a job and build a house and a family. And it's this doing time. So then during perimenopause, we're, we're like at, now I don't want to say the end of that time, but we're at the end phase of that time, getting towards the end of that, where we're coming into this third phase, which is the Vanaprasya ashram. And that is the Vata time of life, which is more ether and air. Mm-hmm. And so we're at this gap, right? So perimenopause, we're coming from this time of doing and really coming into this time of not doing, which is in, like you said, the pause, right? So that beautifully translates into the way Ayurveda looks at menopause, which is saying this is actually a time that we acquire the the clairvoyance and the the that is really needed to gather and gain all the wisdom um, from this deep reflection of our entire lives up to that point. And so the gift of this time is really how are we transitioning into this time of not doing as much? Uh, we're coming out of this really fiery time into this time of more spiritual connection, uh, more, more expansive in nature, more wisdom is garnered. Um, we, we have more space um, typically in our older years, if we've set ourselves up right um, to have these energies flow through us so that we can share the inspiration and wisdom and compassion with our communities, with our families. Um, we were, you know, in balance in this time of life. So once we are like fully on into menopause, um, you know, 20 years from now uh, and more, we have this beautiful time of life where we're, we're able to have this wisdom emanating from us, right? Which is why it's so important to keep our elders close by because we are garnering wisdom from them, but they can also fulfill their life cycle if, Mm -hmm. if they're able to share, you know, not like isolated off in these homes in different places. but this perimenopausal time is this transition. And so in Ayurveda, we would always say in any transition, so we, there's many layers of that. And um, one of those layers is seasons. So in between the seasons, 
is this tumultuous time, right? So we have one season elements are going out and some are coming in. So like with summer, we have this heat that's leaving. And then in fall, we have this coolness and dryness that's coming in. So this is a reason why a lot of people have heat-related issues in the fall, which would be like allergies or rashes or inflammation, is because the heat can't leave their body easily enough and as the coolness and the dryness is coming in. And it's the same in perimenopause. So we want to look at, okay, we're leaving this hot time of life, our adulthood, our pitta, uh, fire time of life where we were doing, 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 and we're going into more of a vata, more of an air and ether time of life. We really want that heat to be able to leave our body and our mind in an easy way. And if it, depending on your unique constitution, of course, um, you can be either more prone to pitta imbalance, fire imbalance, or you can be more prone to vata or air and ether imbalance. So you could have what we call, um, you know, uh, hot flashes or the menopausal symptoms that are very classic, right? Insomnia or vaginal dryness or um, depending on where your vulnerability lies in your unique constitution. And so... <clears throat> The thing that really brings us balance in, in that time is rhythm. And so, again, everything we just talked about and we've been talking about so far is, is what's going to keep us in alignment for that optimal uh, transition and then to really come into this beautiful wisdom phase of our lives. Um, and if we think about it that way, it's like such an honor, right? Like that we get to. I mean, thank goodness <laughs> we get to go from this doing time to this not doing time. I'm ready for that. I don't know about you, but <laughs> I am definitely ready for that time. Um, my toddler, however, still wants very much to be in the phase. Yes, of course they are. Out there who have had babies late in their 30s and early 40s, I feel you because my body is saying, okay, we're unwinding, we're slowing. And um, there's something about having babies earlier that's, that I believe goes a little bit more with the rhythm of, of our lives. Oh, yeah, that's a really good point. And I know, um, you know, the, the community and it's sort of uh, more popular, I guess, to have babies later in life. And I would say, you know, definitely leaning on the support of our community is, is more important than ever in those times, you know, so really making sure that you're asking for the help you need from your friends and sisters and moms and you know, cause it really does. I mean, we should be doing that anyway, no matter when we have babies, but especially so that you can rest, um, and have those moments of, of rhythm in, in that time. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting phase of life. I'm finding it very interesting. It's this, um, I'm loving it. It's like my favorite phase of life so far, but it's this, it's this interesting push pull, right? It's like, still in the doing but knowing you're going into the the slowdown it's just it's a very interesting phase of life to be in it sure is i completely agree <clears throat> i'm feeling that more than ever right now because my oldest just went to college i can't even believe i'm saying that out loud um in the fall and i there's this huge space in my life that i mean i am like the mom who knows at literally every, I mean, all of the moms do, but like you have the schedule like memorized in your yeah. brain and you're like, this child needs to go there and this child needs to do that. And blah, blah, blah. And oh, have you had your, you know, um, your specialty today and ha have, do you have a lunch and oh, like all of the things. And all of a sudden I didn't have that. Yeah. <laughs> and also I didn't have that one child to, to watch over. I was going, wow. There is a ton of space. What am I going to do with that space? Because um, there's a part of you that always knows where they are. Like even though, absolutely. And when they're gone, like you, you don't like that's their life. And there's that space of like, where do you fill it? Where yes. Do you yeah. And I do have, um, 
I do have some ideas of what's coming. So y'all have to just stay tuned on that. And it's going to, it's not going to be small. <laughs> and I think that that's what people, sometimes when I talk to people about this transition and they say, you know, more of the wisdom and the, the slowing down, that doesn't mean we shrivel up and die, ladies. Exactly. It means we become more of ourselves. And we actually, I think, this phase of my life, I feel like I'm actually ready to share more of my wisdom and be out there more in a more sustainable way, right? Absolutely. And that's, that's the beauty of it, right? So we were able to have this clarity that we don't have to, first of all, hopefully in, in our adulthood, we've set up ourselves so that we have a strong foundation to stand on, right? So we don't have to rush around you know, finding work and, you know, building a home. Hopefully we have that stuff, at least, um, you know, a strong foothold on that somewhat. And so then the next layer is like, well, <clears throat> you've learned a lot through that process of creating the life. And so what are you going to share with your community now that you have this strong foundation to stand on? You know, you, you know what, you know how to feed yourself, you know how to clothe yourself, you know how to, um, you know, run your household. How are you going to share this with your community? And that's the thing, like, no, we don't need to put these, you know, elderly people, like, we don't need to all go away to retirement villages. Like, that's like the worst idea. <laughs> we need to be more, like you said, like more accessible to our community so that we can share our wisdom. And I, you know, for years I struggled because, um, you know, this 20 years of, of raising a family and learning as much as I have about holistic health. And I didn't have a platform to really share it in a way. I just, for some reason, wasn't, it wasn't my timing. And I feel like now, and I can say, you know, because you know, you've asked me to be on this podcast and I feel like I'm getting my voice out there in a bigger way now than I have ever before. And, um, and it's a beautiful thing and it's really a testament to this time and how magical it can be if we allow it, if we allow that space to slow down a little bit and listen and, yes. and reflect. Um, so I'm wondering, I'm wondering how, like when you work with people in these transition stages of life, most of the time in these transitionary stages, our endocrine system, our hormones, those are what's in flux. And I don't think it's an unnatural flux. I don't think it's a medicalization flux. But that's kind of this push-pull is also on the hormonal front. So what do you, what do you use to support women? Like is there a specific... Um, you know, milks that you're, you're giving to women or specific ways that you're supporting them nutritionally and kind of their overall. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> I really feel like a lot of the things I mentioned so far, just really helping women kind of be researchers of their own life and really look at um, where they can hone in a little bit more uh, rhythm and more alignment with this this universal consciousness of of natural health and um, and because every woman is so different, um, mm. I really like to work with women long term, so something like a six month wellness journey would be something that we could sit down and and I absolutely look at food like you had mentioned yeah. um, milks. Um, that is definitely one of the ways that we like to offer herbal intelligence. So in Ayurveda, we like to use herbs to reintroduce intelligence to the body. So we speak of intelligence in the way of if we've been denying universal consciousness <clears throat> and pushing through when we're tired and not sleeping and getting sick and being depleted, if we've been um, you know, living uh, out of alignment with nature, it takes time to bring ourselves back into nature alignment. And so herbs would be used in this case to help bring back intelligence. So it would be to say, hey, remember when 
your body was in balance and it used to do X, Y, and Z, the herb is sort of there to be that messenger. And so it's not to be used long-term. <clears throat> it's just to help reintroduce that, that knowledge, which is really, people like to hear that because I think there's this intimidation, like, well, gosh, if I remember feeling this way about chiropractic care and I asked the chiropractor, if I come once, do I have to come forever then, <laughs> you know? And, and it, the answer is no, like you can have this, um, it be like a drop of wisdom back into your body. And then that way your body will remember. And then eventually it'll do it on its own. And, um, so yeah, so helping women really look at their food and do they have a meditation practice? I mean, I would say meditation is uh, one of the number one ways I reduce stress in my everyday life. Uh, the meditation practice I do really helps uh, reboot the nervous system and help all of those accumulations of stress that start to build up uh, fall away. And, and so that is something I would recommend. Um, and, you know, look at the exercise, look at the movement, and maybe introducing yoga um, or Tai Chi or something that feels natural. Um, but really creating, creating some support network for each individual woman so that they can feel like their health is attainable. Like it's not some mystery. It's not something that only, you know, this certain doctor knows how to diagnose and then gives you this special thing. And that's the only thing that can make you feel better. It's really, I work with women to help empower them so that they can take charge of their health and, and be on a trajectory that feels attainable and, and feels realistic and feels really nurturing because it doesn't have to be, um, hard. It should feel like uh, a day at the spa. Right? It should feel like, oh my gosh, like I'm taking time to cook this amazing meal with this local produce I got from the farmer, you know, in my town. And, and this is what is, is nurturing me right now. And this is really um, a beautiful, sacred moment. And, and I think we forget that when we're we have obligations and we have these things to do, but hey, if you just slice a sweet potato and pop it in the oven um, with a little ghee, which is this amazing substance everyone should be eating, <laughs> um, and, and bake that for 40 minutes, that is an amazing treat. That is an amazing snack. That is an amazing addition to a meal. It doesn't have to be a, a four-hour preparation time. Um, and, and yeah, so just kind of reframing some of these things that we, that we think are hard or unattainable or um, that really are disrupting our endocrine system that, because it is a very fragile system, right? And, um, and also, you know, when I work with women too, I have this beautiful network of doctors that I work with. So if there is something that's out of my scope of practice, I'm happy to recommend um, you know, these other Ayurvedic doctors that I work with to go deeper if somebody has more of a deeper imbalance that needs to be worked through. Um, and so that's something that I'm certainly open to doing as well, because I don't, you know, even though I've been studying this for 20 years, I certainly don't know everything. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to have a community of support uh, as a practitioner as well. That's great. I think um I keep going back to these circles. It's actually, that's funny. I'm actually staring up at circles on my wall right now. But um, I think that women being in circle with each other, whether or not you know of their women, just like calling people up and saying, hey, do you want to come do this thing and connect with each other is so helpful because it also helps us see that uh, my story and your story are similar. And when we when we go about it and when we say the what if and when we talk about how our lives could maybe be different and what we're what we're experiencing it that there's like more strength than that so there's strength from you know going to practitioners like the both of us but there's also strength in that just like coming together to remember together um absolutely i've been experiencing 
And, and when you were talking about your fellow practitioners, I was just like this idea of circles, right? We're all in this community. We're all in these circles together. And so when we're feeling in these spaces of transition, sometimes, especially in puberty, people, it feels really lonely. Like you don't know what's going on. It just feels like it's happening to you. Mm -hmm. um, and so surrounding yourself with, with these wise people and just with other people who's, who can reflect, right? Reflection back and back to you. Absolutely. It's something that I think our modern society, we've become very lonely. And um, I, I feel like this is probably the loneliest time on our planet because we're all living in these separate little boxes. We're all driving around in these separate little boxes. We're, you know, have our own individual experience, which can be extremely detrimental because we are tribal beings yeah. like humans are tribal and so you're totally correct when you say like we need community we need each other as women um we need each other as moms to say hey you know this happened is that what do you think instead of googling it call a mom friend yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know like just yes. just you know it's interesting because when um you know, my oldest is 19. When she was a baby, I had so many women around me. I was so blessed to have this community of, you know, I would call them total hippies, like, <laughs> you know, just yeah. breastfeeding wherever, whenever, like everybody, you know, there was organic farms and barefoot children and the whole thing. But, but the thing that we had together that was so valuable is that we talked and we connected and we got together often we would get together with the children you know it wasn't like oh we need to find a babysitter it was like no bring your kids like let them run around and scream and we'll sit in the other room and eat and drink tea and laugh you know like I would just really encourage like new moms um and moms of any age children to get together with fellow moms like just find ways groups whatever um, invite women over for tea or dinner and create the community because it is so supportive and um, honestly feel like those groups saved my life when I was <laughs> when I was a new mom I mean because it can be really oh, it's a lot yes. it's a it's a lot as personally and just to have the responsibility of raising this child and 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 it you know it can translate to every phase of life right so now we're in this phase of more space of perimenopause and and we're feeling like well what what's happening to my body what's happening to my mind um yeah <laughs> my mind going exactly and my daughter my youngest daughter she keeps saying mom i'm really worried about your brain <laughs> And I'm like, well, I must have to eat more ghee. I mean, so that's one of the, you know, that could be a whole nother talk too of like the nervous system and how our nervous system yes. goes throughout, you know, time and age. And I would say um, if you haven't already done research and know what ghee is and how beneficial it is for your health, I would say that's, that's the next thing to look at is uh, super good for our nervous system amazing for perimenopause as we're starting to come into this drier time of life. Um, we got to keep those healthy fats flowing. Um, oh, great. It's great. It's, just, it's so great to speak to you. I you like too. For hours. But I, think I know, right? <laughs> we've, we've gone over our hour mark, so I think we're probably going to end it there. So thank you so, so much for joining me today. Um, and you've given, you've definitely inspired me. I've gotten chills. So I'm hoping that everyone listening is enjoying this as much as I am. Uh, oh, thank you so much for having me, Julie. I really appreciate the work you're doing in the world and, uh, you know, hosting this podcast too, to really help connect women and communities and uh, through these phases of life. It's so important. Oh, thank you.